0: It's I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome
1: to the Baldcast. A production of John Bald Baldface Truth.
0: Big week in the Pac-12 conference. Big week with Pac-12 football games. Obviously, uh, a lot to talk about. One of my favorite people that I have encountered in all of my years of covering college football and sports in general, is our next guest, Coach Nick Aliotti, longtime University of Oregon defensive coordinator, Pac-12 network analyst. He is a father. He is a grandfather. He is a husband. I don't know if he bats right-handed, left-handed in a softball game, baseball game. Or are you a right-handed hitter? Left-handed hitter.
1: I'm a right-handed hitter and uh, should have been a left-handed hitter, but I was a right-handed hitter. You down the line faster if you're lefty.
0: Yeah. Now that nowadays, you, you know, if you're growing up in today's world, you, you would have been a lefty. And, but back in your childhood, who who did you emulate? Who was your guy on the San Francisco Giants roster? Because I know you were a Giants fan.
1: Well, absolutely. You know, it's it's. Uh... Emulate my guy was was Willie Mays actually had two guys one was a giant Willie Mays and the other one was a Yankee Mickey Mantle those are my two favorite guys growing up Uh, I was an infielder John not a good not a great left fielder like yourself but I was an infielder uh, mostly shortstop and second base Uh, But those were my two heroes in baseball and I used to follow baseball a lot more than I I do today, although I do watch the Major League Playoffs and will watch the World Series.
0: Nick Aliotti with us. Uh, uh, you know, Giants got to get back into the postseason, but let's talk college football. Let's go back to last weekend, first of all. Utah with a huge win over USC. Can we focus on that game? What What is going on with USC defensively in your mind?
1: Well, I I think... I went back and watched that game. In fact, I just watched it again today. Uh, you know, I just not very good gap control uh, with their D-line and their linebackers. Uh, shoddy tackling. And I, I think one of the, the, the biggest uh, things that they're doing is too much on defense. So the combination of too much makes you not play fast makes you not know all the time what you're supposed to do because when you really know what you're supposed to do you can play super fast so um they say lincoln says that if we say they're the same uh that we really don't know what we're looking at or, or or we don't know much well i'm i'm giving him a pass by saying they're the same because they might be worse
0: yeah and I, I guess I wasn't surprised because I think Utah is really well coached. Maybe you can speak to that a little bit when you see Kyle Whittingham and you see Morgan Scally and you see Andy Ludwig on the other side of the chess table, so to speak, or the chessboard. I mean, that's a pretty good, pretty solid coaching staff.
1: So those are three very great ball coaches. Uh, you know, they they know who they are, John. They know they're going to be physical. They're going to be good at the line of scrimmage. They're going to on offense. They're going to play with tight ends on defense. And there's a team that 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 does just a few things. Although it looks like they do more, they're going to blitz you. They're going to play solid defense and play man free. And they're going to play a, co- a cover two on on third down. For the most part, that's what they're doing. Uh, obviously, they have a few other things, but. For the most part, that's that's what they're doing. But in and Andy Ludwig on offense, he's going to give you multiple personnel groupings, uh, a lot of eye candy, a lot of motions, uh, a lot of trades and, and movement. So the combination of what they do offensively and defensively plays right to, to the strengths of what Utah is all about. And to me... Uh, there's, a, there's a few really good coach teams in this league. So I don't want to say they're the best, but they're one of the best coach teams in this league, without a doubt, on both sides of the ball, including their leadership with Kyle.
0: Rice-Eccles Stadium, that'll be the site Saturday. Oregon's going into that place. I think it's one of the toughest places to play, just like Odson Stadium, maybe, maybe Reeser Stadium in recent years. Um, You've coached there. You've seen that place. What is it about going to the altitude or going into that red blender that makes it difficult?
1: I think you hit on the nose. Uh, They love their football. Uh, I would say Salt Lake uh, and and Oregon State starting to be that way too. But Salt Lake and and playing at Austin and Oregon, Oregon, those two have the two best home crowd advantages, I think, week in and week out. They're packed, both places, all the time. And their students and their fans get into it, and they get loud, and they understand the game. So it's, it's a tough place to play, a very tough place to play, uh, just like Austin is.
0: Nick Eliotti is with us. Give me an idea. Oregon going to Utah. What do you think of that matchup?
1: I, I say it's a, a very, very tough game. But I think advantage Oregon, and not because I have any loyalty or coached at Oregon. To me, Oregon is the most complete team in this league. And I mean it because of this. They run the ball and throw the ball almost 50-50 as far as their statistics. They're the top offense in in, in, maybe the country. I know they're up there. Uh, I don't always look into the stats, but I know they're up there. They're one of the top scoring offenses. They're playing good defense. And I just don't think that Bryson Barnes, although I love what the kid stands for, uh, you know, Pink farming and all that kind of stuff, a walk on and all the stuff that he does. I just don't think that Utah has enough offense to match Oregon. But defensively, they certainly do. Both defenses will play well, but I think Oregon will have a little bit more offense and should have an easier time stopping Utah than Utah will stop in Oregon.
0: I uh, I look at the Oregon season, and of course, that Washington game is their blemish. Uh, I got to know what you thought of the strategy going for it on fourth. Um, you know, I know you're an aggressive guy, but. Uh, do you think Dan Lanning does calls the game the same way if he can go back, or do you think he calls it a little differently? Or what did you make of that?
1: Okay, this is not second guessing because I was saying it at the time. Right, right. First of all, I would have kicked the field goal at the end of the half without a doubt. Go in down by one, getting the ball. Okay. Secondly, I would have kicked the next field goal when I had a chance, which any of those three points would have been huge. The last one going for on fourth and three, Nick Gagliotti would never do that. He would punt. They had no timeouts being Washington. And I got to say, hey, defense, big game. If there's ever a time, I know, I know what Washington has on offense. I know what Dan Lanning was thinking. Hey, if we get the first down, we end it here. But I'm not that guy. I I play more by the book or what I think Uh take analytics, you could could flush those down the toilet, okay? I go by gut and by feel and by how the game's going. Uh, Oregon had momentum, so I'm not second-guessing Coach Lanning. I think he's an excellent coach. He's doing a great job, but I would have kicked both field goals, and I would have punted it. That's just me. Conversely, when you look at it, Oregon's lost four games under Dan Lanning. One was to Georgia. That was a a blowout. Take that out of there. The other three games that they lost, all three of them they went for on fourth down in the fourth quarter in their own territory and ended up, ended up losing the game. So, uh, And the Washington game the first time might have not have been their own territory. It might have been one where they couldn't kick the field or punted it. But all three of those games were losses. There are only three losses, really, when you look at it. Take Georgia out of it.
0: Yeah, you're right. In the Washington game last year, they went for it on 4th and 1 from their own 29. I mean, that's that's crazy uh, in that situation, and they end up barely losing that game. Nick Elioti is with us, Pac-12 network analyst. Um, a lot of people forgetting about Oregon State when they talk about, you know, is it going to be Washington? Is it going to be Oregon? Utah gets talked about. Oregon State flying under the radar. What do you see the Beavers doing And, you know, are they as good as they were a year ago? What do you see when you look at that team?
1: Don't fall asleep on the Beavers. I I think there's, in my mind, there's four true teams that can still win this whole thing. And not in any order, but Washington, Oregon, Utah, or Oregon State. I really believe in those four teams. And if I had to put a fifth in there, it'd be UCLA because I believe in Chip Kelly although their quarterback issues and Utah's quarterback issues are a little bit different. But we're talking about Oregon State. Love what they do offensively. Love it. Hard ball runs, play action, quick little receivers, getting down the field, good on special teams, play tough, play hard. They love the game. They're into it for all the right reasons. I don't know and I don't think, that their defense is as good as it was last year. It's not bad, but I don't think that it's as good as the defense they had last year because last year they had the two special corners. Uh, I can't think of the names right now, but I know they had two really good corners that really helped them load the box and be able to play man. But they're very good, and they can win this whole thing. I, I really think whoever wins the Civil War – We'll play in the championship game probably against Washington.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably a pretty safe uh, estimation. I love that. Nick Gagliotti with us. Um, All right, Arizona, Tucson's a tough place to play. Beavers are going there. Jed Fish's team is better on defense than they were a year ago. Offensively, they seem to have found something with a young quarterback. You know, how much of a trap game does that feel like for Oregon State, traveling to Tucson?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, No disrespect, I hate trap games because if you're – but I know what you mean, John. If you're truly a competitor, you're playing a game on – you get one each Saturday, one a week. You better be ready to go down and play Arizona because Arizona, Arizona can throw the ball all over the park and they are playing better defense. This Fafita kid is special. He can throw it and he can hurt you with his legs. And those kind of quarterbacks are scary to me. They run the ball. Uh, I want to say with Campbell, and they have another kid. Uh, they lose me right now, but they run the ball quite well, and they are playing better defense. Now, their last two wins, no, let me take it back. Their last two games were against passing teams, in my opinion, USC and uh, Washington State. Defensively, against Oregon State, they're facing a different type of offense, so we're going to find out. If they could defend both, because this Oregon State team will come after you running that ball down the hill Now, uh, I think Jonathan one of the better coaches in the league. I think he'll have his team ready. I think they got to know what's at stake. They have the one loss. Uh, they're right in the thick of things. Don't lose one that you should win, and I expect Oregon State to win, but it will be tougher than everybody thinks down there in Tucson.
0: Coach, this Michigan sign stealing thing has caused a lot of discussion. And there's, I think, a lot of us that, you know, maybe assumed that coaches and teams were looking across the field trying to steal signs, but didn't know that, you know, maybe a coaching staff would have a guy in the stands allegedly filming and then going to a road games and trying to steal signs and decipher it. Give me an idea. How much of an advantage does that create if. I can advance scout you and film your, you know, your signs on the sideline.
1: Well, the sign thing, first of all, it's illegal, uh, so really you shouldn't break the rules. But as far as stealing signs, I yawn at that. Uh, stealing what the other people do and how they play the game and being there in person and watching your opponent and, and things like that, uh, to me that gives you much more. But the sign thing, I always used to think, John, and and yeah, it helps a little bit. I'm not naive, but I used to think about this. If I call a defensive play and I signal it, they're calling an offensive play. The communication from the coach to the player to all the other players to get all that done, I really don't see that as a big deal stealing signs, whether it's Again, I said in person's illegal, but stealing signs that doesn't bother me at all. It really doesn't. I think it might give you a little bit, but not enough. You still got to block and tackle and run the plays, get all that stuff done.
0: Would it be a bigger advantage on the defensive side or offensive side? Meaning, you know, if I'm your opponent and I know that you're in man coverage or zone coverage. Bigger advantage there? I, I, I have a hard time thinking you could steal much on the offensive side, but more on the defensive side.
1: Yes. I mean, like I said, there's a little bit there because if you know they're playing man and you're for sure they're playing man. Uh, but, I mean, we had about – I'm just trying to think that We had about five or six different man coverages. Mm-hmm. So what, what man is it? Is it two man? Is it four man? Is it uh, – what we used to call five, which was a man. Is it man-free? Is it blitz man? Uh, but knowing that it's man certainly helps as opposed to knowing it might be zone. Okay? Uh, but, and I'm not naive about this, but not enough that I'd be going crazy over this. The fact that the guy was at the stadiums, that's terrible, that's bad, that's a problem. But the fact that he was just was stealing signs, that's a whole nother issue. Doesn't bother me. Play football. You still got to block and tackle me. That's right. I mean, I, yeah. it is isn't like, it is like baseball where I know a fastball is coming. You know, like the Astros and those guys. Supposedly, <laughs> I think that's yeah. a. I, I think I, I think that's an advantage. But if you know I'm running the sweep, well, how am I blocking the sweep? Am I pulling two guys? Am I am I cracking down on you? I can go on and on. Uh, I think you got my point.
0: Did you guys ever, because I know in the Chip Kelly era, you know, you had signs up there, you had dummy signs. Uh, half of it didn't mean anything. It was A lot of it was verbal on the offensive side. Like, how, how involved were you in kind of disguising things during that era?
1: We played against them every day in practice. And they'd have these signs and these signals and stuff. And I'll tell you, to this day, I have no clue what any of that stuff meant. (laughs) I mean, absolutely absolutely nothing. I can't tell you what a picture of Joey Harrington or or whatever else they had, uh, what any of that stuff meant. I I was too busy doing my thing. What personnel's in? What are we doing? Uh, What's the down and distance? Where's the ball? Uh, Maybe I'm not as good as some of these other guys. But I didn't worry about the signs. I didn't worry about the signals. All I cared about was the players. Line up, read your keys, play football, tackle, get off blocks.
0: You did, I think, the best job of any defensive coordinator in the history of college football in adjusting to pace. You went from calling it one way and having your personnel guys on the field all the time, to having to adjust to a coach that wanted to run 85 to 100 plays a game. Like, you know, Chip wanted the ball and he wanted to play fast, and that sometimes meant that your guys were on the sideline for 90 seconds. And, you know, if you can think back to that time, Coach, like was how much of a conscious adjustment did you have to make, or did it take you having to see a couple games and you went, oh, holy hell, like I, I'm going to have to play more guys? Well, How did that go?
1: No. We knew right away, you know, at first, when Chip was the coordinator, I was all, you know, I'll use the word, peed off, pissed off at Bilotti. I mean, how do we practice? How do we communicate with our guys? He's going so fast, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, I was, I was complaining. But then I said, you know what? This is going to make me better and make us better. We're going to do signals in one motion, two at most, and that's going to be the whole defense, okay? And now, Temple became so normal for us in a game, you couldn't go fast enough in a game because in practice, we would be running back from the last play and the ball was almost snapped. That's the way Chip did it. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, 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 I'm not kidding you. Yeah. And you see, and the other thing it did was it made my second string guys, because we would uh, adjust like a hockey team, you know, three guys here, three guys there, a couple linebackers, a secondary guy, blah, blah, blah. We would adjust like a hockey team. So what happened is my second team guys got more reps in practice, which made them better players, which gave me more confidence that they knew what they were doing, which made them more engaged into the game plan because back in the day it was first team and a few other guys but now i had more guys involved and the next year if a guy got hurt you didn't have to worry about it because that other guy had a lot of snaps or the following year when you lost starters you really didn't lose starters you might have lost a great player in name but you had a guy that was capable to fill in that position so it made me a better coach and we really adjusted uh quite quickly after coach Hal was bitching and moaning for about the first two weeks of practice
0: chip's such an interesting guy you know uh, wilner and i had him on for a podcast interview he's got great ideas you know he's he's into sleep and all that and how you sleep better and why you shouldn't have your phone next to your nightstand and all of that stuff uh, it was a lot of fun to talk with him, uh, Nick Aliotti, with us, uh, former Oregon defensive coordinator. All right, before I before I let you go, um, Washington State. Uh, I got a lot of Washington State listeners who want to know what is going on with that team. They looked really good at four and zero. They've now lost three straight, and I get it. They're playing some good teams, but do you see anything different happening with Washington State that you can quantify or talk about?
1: Um. Uh... Not really, but what I have seen with Washington State is the same thing. And I didn't think I would see it as much with Dickert as I did with my good friend and rest in peace Mike Leach. My point being this, they don't run the ball. If you don't run the ball, I don't have to defend the run. When they played UCLA, they ran the ball, don't count quarterback scrambles, 12 times in the game, 12. I counted them. You can't win a championship, in my opinion, if you don't run the ball because teams just start playing the pass and say, dare you to run. And if you don't run the ball, you're not physical on offense and you're not physical on defense. You could say you are, and you could say these sideline passes and all these little bubble screens are like a run, but they're not like a run because there's no physicality to those plays. So I don't know if I see a lot different. I thought they played a pretty good game against Oregon. I think Cam Ward's a very good player. I think they have some good receivers. Oregon's darn good. They're really good. But I don't think they, they, they're physical enough because they don't threaten you with the run, and therefore they don't practice it or see it enough. So that's what I think's going on with Washington State.
0: All right, that's great stuff. All right, Coach, I appreciate you joining us. We love having you on, getting your expertise, and uh, take care of your voice. You're in mid-season form with your voice right now, but take care I of it. No,
1: I apologize. No, don't apologize. I, it's you. I apologize to your. I apologize to your listeners. I don't even yell anymore. Maybe at my dogs, <laughs> but because uh, my grandkids are older now. And they yeah. actually listen to us. They're good. So, uh, John, I always enjoy it. Anytime. Hope your family and Anna are doing well.
0: We're all well, and uh, I, uh, every time we uh, we make homemade pasta, I think about you, and I think you know we ought to get a dinner with Nick Aliotti. it's what we need.
1: Got to be red.
0: <laughs> hey, what, what game do you have? Are you on a game this weekend, or where are you?
1: We're at we're at Cal USC Cal.
0: Ooh, that should be good. You want to see what happens yeah, there? I'm excited.
1: Yeah, I don't know Cause, if... Cause, uh, go ahead.
0: We'll, we'll find out. Like you know, We're going to find out if those USC kids want to compete or not. I don't think they're very tough. And I think Cal, a little better on offense, not as good on defense as they've been historically.
1: No, I agree. And, but, but, and I don't know what Lincoln Riley has, and I hope he's okay. But for a head coach to miss two practices in a row... Uh, like I said first and foremost I hope he's okay yep. that's saying pneumonia
0: he's back today they're saying pneumonia so he's apparently okay but I don't know how much of that pneumonia was brought on by losing
1: I coached 40 years I never missed a practice Amen. I think I had pneumonia sometimes and maybe that's <laughs> self-serving but no, my god you, you show up
0: yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Take care, Coach. Thank you. Appreciate you.
1: See you,
0: John. Bye. There goes Nick Elioti. One of a kind. One of one, Nick Elioti. I've got some thoughts uh, in the wake of that. I bet you do, too. 503-417-7575 is a number. What did you hear there from Nick Ellioti that jumped out at you? I'll give you my things next. 503-417-7575 is a number. I want you to tell me. What did you hear from Coach Nick Aliotti in that last segment? Uh, In looking at Oregon State's weekend, something has become abundantly clear, and it became so clear to me in talking with Nick Aliotti, the former Oregon defensive coordinator, that, you know, the Oregon State, it's not the Oregon State run game, it's not the Oregon State pass game, it's not Oregon State's toughness. I don't worry about any of those things when it comes to Jonathan Smith's team. The fundamental question for Oregon State as they go to Tucson on Saturday to play a very important game is, does Oregon State understand what's at stake? That's it. Period. End stop. Do the Beavers understand what's at stake? Because you do hear people bring up, oh, it's a trap game. They're going to Tucson. Game's in the middle of the desert. Oh, it's Arizona. It's not a rivalry game. In fact, this is the last time Oregon State and Arizona will play for the foreseeable future, given that they're going in different directions, different conferences. So the question becomes, does Oregon State, who already has one loss this season, do the Beavers understand what's at stake? I think it's a great starting point for the conversation about the game that will be played on Saturday because we can focus all we want on the idea that you know, hey, they're coming off a bye week, it's not Washington, it's not Oregon, maybe the emotional uh, element that you would normally see from a football team. How Nick Aliotti said it. You get one game a week. You get 12 of these in the regular season, and then they're gone. And maybe it's a little bit old-school thinking. I know it's not the transfer portal. It's not NIL. But if Oregon State really wants to matter in this final Pac-12 as we know it season. Uh, Oregon State's fighting for relevancy, fighting for survival in a courtroom, trying to get, you know, harvest the assets of the conference, trying to find out where they're going to play next year, who they're going to play next year. But this football team on the field has to know what's at stake. So I want to lay this out. What's at stake for Oregon State? It's not just, "Hey, can they go 11 and 1 this season?" and get to Las Vegas and play for a conference championship it's not just that it's not just hey um, you know can they win a game in Arizona and stay on pace to be a team that could contend for a conference champion it's not just that either what's at stake for Oregon State is bigger than maybe any other program outside of Washington State in the conference and frankly the Beavers have a better shot than Washington State given their record to get to Vegas what's at stake for the Beavers is a statement that they could make nationally to every conference in the Power Five that left them out, to every fan who doesn't really understand the uh, geography of the Pacific Northwest or the history and the brands involved in the Pac-12 conference. They could make a statement about them belonging, make a statement about the travesty that it is to get left behind, make a statement about this season and this team, Jonathan Smith will tell you he wants to live in the now. He wants this team not focused on all that other stuff, just focused on what they can control this season. Well, I'll tell you, outside of you know that other stuff that is going on, what's at stake for Oregon State on Saturday is huge. It's a Super Bowl of, of stakes. And so I'm almost embarrassed to, to ask the question, like, is it a trap game? But we do that because we see Arizona – We see a trip on the road to Tucson. We see a game coming out of a bye week. We see it's not Oregon or Washington, and so we go, hey, you know, is it possible Oregon State could overlook this opportunity? The Beavers should never overlook an opportunity. The Beavers should be flying around like nobody else in the Pac-12 conference because they're playing with a chip on their shoulder. They're playing not just for this
1: season.